Welcome to Great Stories in American History with Rebecca Price Janney. Today's story is about the abolitionists, particularly Elijah Lovejoy. The movement to abolish slavery gained important ground in the 1830s as opponents of the system produced their own newspapers and spoke out in various forums against that immoral institution. It was a polarizing crusade, however, and its adherents faced enormous public censure, personal ridicule, and danger. Rotten eggs and the noise of tin horns, drums, and sleigh bells often assaulted them as they made public addresses. In Philadelphia, abolitionists who built an assembly hall watched an angry mob burn it to the ground shortly thereafter. Newspaper editor William Lloyd Garrison was attacked by a so-called broadcloth mob that put a rope around his neck and led him through the streets of Boston. That same day in Utica, New York, a mob disrupted the organizational meeting of an abolitionist group. One event more than any other, however, energized the abolitionist cause nationwide. It prompted the creation of nearly a thousand anti-slavery societies in the northern states, elevating the movement in the public's mind from extremism to respectability. In 1837, Princeton-trained minister and newspaper editor Elijah Lovejoy pleaded with the citizens of Alton, Illinois, to protect his constitutional right to freedom of the press. He had edited The Observer, a weekly abolitionist newspaper in St. Louis, until pro-slavery renegades destroyed his printing press, threatened his family, and ran him out of town. From there, the 35-year-old Lovejoy ventured to Illinois, where he established that state's anti-slavery society and continued printing the Observer. The minister did not find peace, however, in Alton. Night after night, his family huddled fearfully inside their home as angry crowds threatened to burn down the house and kill its occupants. At the start of November, the Reverend Lovejoy appeared at a public meeting in the Alton courtroom to defend his abolitionist convictions and appeal for personal protection from violence and his right to freedom of the press. He moved many to tears as he described the hardships he faced night after night as he and a few dozen supporters guarded his family and his printing press. Lovejoy stood confidently before the chairman of the public meeting where he initially defended his abolitionist position and actions. It wasn't true, he insisted, that he ran an anti-slavery press or made speeches simply to provoke Alton citizens or that he deliberately flew in the face of convention just to be different or to incite civil disorder. No, he said, he stood where he did on slavery because of strongly held convictions. He told them, 
While I value the good opinion of my fellow citizens as highly as anyone, I may be permitted to say that I am governed by higher considerations than either the favor or fear of man. I am impelled to the course I have taken because I fear God. As I shall answer it to my God in the great day, I dare not abandon my sentiments or cease in all proper ways to propagate them. The main issue facing them, he said, was whether he could enjoy his constitutional rights. Would he and his long-suffering family and their property be protected from lawless individuals who didn't approve of his beliefs? As the minister told how his ailing wife fled to the attic from her sickbed almost nightly to escape mobs with brickbats surrounding their home, he started to weep. Many in the Alton courtroom sobbed as well, moved by his deep concern for her. Even some of his enemies cried. But what was he to do, he asked, if the town of Alton didn't offer some protection from pro-slavery agitators? It was not as if he could leave and find a more tolerant community. He had tried that route before. In fact, he had brought his family to Alton looking for refuge. Besides, Lovejoy had no guarantee that he and his family would be able to leave Alton without being overtaken en route by ruffians. He was, he said, prepared to die for his convictions if need be. If the civil authorities refuse to protect me, he concluded, I must look to God, and if I die, I have determined to make my grave in Alton. On the night of November 7th, many who participated in that town meeting descended upon the warehouse where Lovejoy and about 15 men defended his fourth printing press. Pro-slavery gunslingers fired twice into the building. Lovejoy and his defenders fired back, knowing that the law would not be on their side. Then the mob set fire to the warehouse, and as Lovejoy fled, his enemies shot him to death. Afterward, they dragged his mangled body through the streets of Alton. Public outrage greeted the news of Lovejoy's martyrdom. There had been other abolitionists who surrendered their lives for the cause, but none had touched the American spirit as that respectable, gentle, and forsaken minister. This was no extremist, but a man to whom freedom-loving Americans could relate. Lovejoy's death moved Massachusetts Senator Henry Wilson to reflect. Nothing had so clearly indicated to anti-slavery men the nature of the conflict in which they were engaged, the desperate character of the foe with which they were grappling. They saw that the conflict was not to be the bloodless encounter of ideas. Abolitionist and feminist Sarah Grimke prophetically told a friend that there was little hope now that slavery could be stopped peacefully. She said, the blood spilled at Alton will be seed of the future discord. Shortly after Lovejoy's murder, his brother Owen traveled to churches throughout Ohio to tell the story of what had happened. 
people wept as they heard about the minister who had courageously defended his rights, not for selfish purposes, but to free and empower black men and women. At one church, a man stood in the back after listening to Owen Lovejoy's stirring message. He raised his right hand and proclaimed before the congregation, Here before God, in the presence of these witnesses, I consecrate my life to the destruction of slavery. His name was John Brown. Thank you for joining me for Great Stories in American History. I'm Rebecca Price Janney.